You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Okay. Oh, look, you've got a copy of Hillbilly uh, Elegy in your shrine. Oh, those are fake candles. I always thought those were real flames coming from your votive candles. Sometimes but- they are, sometimes they aren't. Oh, does this is this a comment on JD Vance? Then is your devotion less than organic? Is it <laughs> no? My, uh, my, I, I just wanted. I I was looking for the previous episode where I had a shrine to JD Vance, Bob, because I want us to wallow in how wrong you were when I months ago predicted that JD Vance would do well, and you said he was toast. I believe or some some phrase like that. You said he was finished through and yeah, i said Mickey, no he has incredible in fairness, talent in fairness that's when i thought trump was going to endorse him rather than jd mandel who trump endorsed at the last or actually jp slash jd mandel who trump endorsed at the last minute so the curse of trump actually fell on the well, opponent uh, well but for, for yeah, people I think not that's, paying i think that's people, an example of where even though trump fucked it up and he didn't really fuck it up um, uh, that was close uh, to a Biden uh, moment. That, that talent was... shown through. That you, I don't think the, the Trump misstatement of of Vance's name is the name of his opponent, which wasn't even in the state. It was in in another state. He was just recalling uh, the previous, you know, what had happened in Ohio. Uh, I don't think that that. Uh, well, you know what? You want to hear my Mandel. other excuses? You want to hear my? I was Mandel. kidding about that. I was just just. Okay. Uh, Ribbing you, Mickey, because Trump had a Biden moment. Okay, well, I've you know, but the I like uh, you. I'm not rested, so I have no sense of humor. I am rested for the first time in months. It's a it's a wonderful feeling, folks. The um, so no, I have other excuses. Okay, one is I didn't realize quite how much money Peter Thiel was going to throw in. This is the most that's ever been thrown into a Senate primary. What was it, 15 million or something? Just crazy quantities of cash. I think it was 13 million. It was, it was 10 million, then he put in some more. I, what, yeah, either yeah. One million more. I think it was maybe 11 million. Anyway, he was Tell 11 to 13. But Mandel had more money. Also, I thought by wait, wait, when... But Mandel had more money on on his side. So but, how does that, how does Peter, the fact that all of Vance's money came from Peter Thiel doesn't detract from the I fact just, that there was more money against him than for him. Well, then let's move on to my next excuse, if you're going to be like that about it. (laughs) My next excuse is that I thought by when you meant like get 50% or more of the vote. You know, I didn't know. I'm not up on primary rules. Who knew you could win with what you get, 32%? And he's the winner? They don't have to have a runoff or something? He was pretty decisively. Is this what is this? Communist China? ahead of the next guy. What? He came in 10 points ahead of the next guy. So did you see Carl Rove? In a, dismissing in a, in a field with five credible candidates. Did you see Karl Rove's dismissal of the Trump effect here? Yeah, yeah I thought that was sort of pathetic because uh, no, it was he good. made one good point. He made one good point. It was pathetic in that it, he knows that if Vance and people like Vance take control of the Republican Party, he is toast. Because he is for immigration amnesty. He spent his entire career pushing the Bushes for immigration amnesty. He failed miserably. He destroyed Bush's presidency and screw him, okay? And he was completely wrong. He was embarrassingly wrong in the Romney race where they had to, they had to, they had to haul him crying from the Fox studios practically. Um, so uh, screw Rove, but he made one very good point, which is 
when Trump endorses somebody, he's in a five candidate field. He pleases that guy's 32% and he pisses off everybody else. So it wouldn't yeah. necessarily uh, help Vance in the general election if those other 60% or so stay home. I don't think that's how it works. I think they're Republicans. I think they'll vote for Vance. I think Vance will do what it takes to uh, keep them on his side. But Vance has what we call a delicate balancing act because I just realized it's not enough to please Trump to get the endorsement in the primary. He has to keep pleasing him until the election because Trump could do something crazy like say, well, I don't like J.D. Vance anymore and half of the Republicans stay home. So uh, yet he has to appeal to moderates and Democratic populace uh, uh, at the same time. But the Democratic populace is, is easy to do. I mean, his his populism is completely tailored to winning over a large chunk of uh, actually, uh, he's got an opponent, Tim Ryan. Vote in Ohio. Tim Ryan has pretty solid credentials in that right. field. So Ryan Ryan will will win at least half the Democratic vote. But if he loses the other half, then he he's lost the race. So uh, we'll see. But, Just to revisit Rove's argument from a slightly different angle, the point which was kind of new to me. I mean, I hadn't thought about it. so before the there was a combination of of. Trump endorsement, and I guess as a result of that, another wave of Peter Thiel money. The combined effect of that was to move J.D. Vance from like 24% to 32%. So Rob's point is, you know, uh, 8% can be attributed to Trump plus the money. And meanwhile, 68% of the Republican electorate is completely unmoved. Trump just doesn't doesn't have, you know, that's not to say that they hate Trump or that this will alienate them. He just doesn't move them in a very well, big I think, way. I, I think that point was right, that Trump's effect was limited and it took place after uh, Vance on his own had gotten 23 or 24% of the vote, which right. would which is pretty substantial. You know, that's what the second place finisher got on his own. Uh, so, uh yeah, that, that Trump, had a, Trump, Tim had a, Ryan, Trump had an 8% effect after Vance had surged from being down in the polls to 24% on the strength largely of his immigration message and his debate performances. There were some other factors too, but uh, I don't think the extra teal money was that important. But uh, but the Trump, the, the question is, would Vance have won if Trump had endorsed nobody? That's the interesting question. And... Uh, I think he probably would have. I mean, he probably wouldn't have, would have lost if Trump had endorsed Mandel. Well, he was behind before Trump endorsed him. You know, he did. Trump did give him a little, just enough was, of a bump. He had an up arrow. He, he was at twenty four percent, and he was on the way up. Well, the uh, anyway, Tim Ryan immediately set in with the message that JD that unlike JD Vance, he didn't run run away from Ohio to Silicon Valley and New York and wherever else to make a little a lot of money. He's an Ohio kid. He was a high school football star in Ohio. Um, I think he's got a, a pretty, pretty solid, you know, credentials. I don't think I don't think Ryan is great, can't, you know, campaigner. I didn't think he did great in the Democratic presidential debates, but I wouldn't count him out as a lot of people. I think was he even in the Democratic presidential debates? Well, that's what I mean. He didn't really leave a lasting impression. <laughs> I mean, on maybe a lot he was. People. No, he I think he was. That early. No, I think he was. Uh, uh, I mean, maybe I'm deeply confused, but remember back when they had to have two separate nights of yeah, debate? Yeah, no, no, I understand. That would have been the stage. Yeah, it's possible. Um, it, anyway. It, it, 
he's, we'll see. He, he's a pretty strong Democratic candidate, but but he's running in a horrible year for Democratic candidates. God knows, yes. In, in a state that is turning red. Now, the good uh, news... The Trump has turned red. The good news for anti-Trumpers, whenever a Trump-backed candidate wins a primary, is now, if he loses the general, then people blame Trump. That's your guy who lost. So we'll see. Well, there, there'll be opportunities to blame Trump also, before then, if uh, if if Oz loses in Pennsylvania, which is entirely possible. I mean, he voted in Turkey in 2018. I mean, yeah, I saw that video. He, uh, and and McCormick <laughs> is, you know, I don't like him because he's a Goldman Sachs candidate with a Goldman Sachs wife, and I'm deeply suspicious. But uh, he he has to be an effective, uh, you know, effective debater. Uh, Maybe not. You know, Oz has to be too. But McCormick will have a lot of money behind him, and I think you know it's a, right now. It's tied, basically, eighteen to sixteen or something. So, um, uh, if, if he loses that in a couple of other races, uh, then then he won't be such a kingmaker after all. I still say I don't know. I still don't consider JD Vance a great candidate. He seems like a super obvious panderer. Um, and you shave that beard, and he's completely toast. <laughs> I'm telling you, do not shave the beard, JD Vance. He has no beard. He has no beard on his the photo of his best selling his best selling book, Bob. It didn't hold Would him you back for that guy. Uh, I've talked to him. He's he seems like a reasonable guy. He's he he takes ideas seriously. If you look at at it, the pattern of his so called pandering, he's he's he's. Uh, does an extreme sort of uh, sort of dramatic uh, rendition of of his populist talking points, but he he doesn't do anything that seriously will screw him up later. Like he didn't say the January six uh, rioters were right, and you know he said they were political prisoners, which is you know you could interpret various different ways, uh, but he, basically they're throwing the bucket at them for you know. You you uh you attack a comedian on the stage of the Hollywood Bowl. You only get a misdemeanor, and you you know, walk you walk you're waved by guards into the Capitol and mill around for a bit. And 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 you know, I don't know if those people got felonies, but I think some of them did. I think the mill the mill arounders didn't get into too much trouble. Didn't they're not doing a lot. The sentences don't seem to me like they've been really extreme by and large. Um, a, c- a couple of them did, but I agree with you. But and anyway. It, it, it's a defensible point, and he wasn't saying uh, Trump won the election. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, so he hasn't really uh, gone a hundred percent for the crazy Trump, and he just he just this is a sort of amped up version of, uh, uh, you know, of of of, of the standard. Uh, you know, he he's on your side in Ukraine, so instead of saying this isn't worth risking a nuclear war over. Uh, he says, "I don't care what happens in Ukraine." Okay, that was a that was a hyperbolic way of stating the Bob Wright position. So I can't hold that no, against him. No, it's not. It's not substantively anything like the Bob Wright position. It's it's him being a complete isolationist and saying, "America, uh, you know, what happens beyond our borders doesn't matter. Screw him. I don't care." I think That's he not my position at all. I think he elaborated on it later. Well, he, he better said elaborate a hell of a lot to neutralize he, that. He he uh, he he. Uh, well, your 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 point of view has nothing to do with the fact that Ukraine is not a vital American interest. My first of all, what's happening isn't even good for the Ukrainians. Okay, 
you, you don't have to say, I don't care about the Ukrainians to think that we're on a bad path there and we should have tried to prevent this war and we should be trying to bring it to an end. Right. But if you if, but if you if, if you don't want to hinge it all on what's good for the Ukrainians, you can say, I don't want this war because it's not in America's vital interest. We have other things that are more important. Uh, you got you, you're you're rejecting allies right and left, Bob. No, I mean it's fine if we agree on this and uh, on on what should happen. Uh, then, but but the philosophy behind it is not, I'm sure, at all the same as mine. At least, and and if it I, is, he can't admit to it in this election. I very much doubt he's an isolationist. Nobody's a true isolationist. Nobody's a true isolationist. But well, but the kind of the Trumpists are as close as you can come. Uh, because they are not, I mean, usually the best defense against the claim that you're an isolationist for at least people on the right is, no, I'm for thoroughgoing economic engagement with the world, but people on the Trumpist right really aren't even that. So they are as close as it comes to being isolationist. They're they're kind of overtly anti-international governance. They don't want much U.S. involvement in international bodies. They're as close as Vance is as close as you get to a true isolation. He is probably pretty uh, much, uh, and he, you know, he he's not for autarky, but I, 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 I he's he is it for economic probably more disengagement than than most. Yeah. But but he's a fucking marine, Bob. I mean, he's he's not he's not in favor of uh, military isolation from the world. He, he knows <laughs> he, he knows firsthand the consequences of. Bad military decisions, but uh, I, I very much doubt Whatever. that he's a, a Charles Lindbergh America first. Uh, anyway, uh, time will uh, tell. I'm just saying he's as close as you come these days to a true isolationist. I mean, um, J- John Chait is saying he's a horrible authoritarian fascist who has to be resisted. I think he'll be a great senator because he will turn out to be a thoughtful person on the populist right. We'll see who's right if he wins. Um, yeah, I'm not really, yeah. The, so what, the other big, uh, factor that emerged this week relevant to the November elections would be Roe versus Wade. So what's I, your, first of all, what's your theory? there are probably on, other, other factors, but yes. Well, what, did you want to review more primary elections or what? No, uh, no, that's, I guess that's the other big one if you're focused on the election. Well, we could jump to to Ukraine if you want. I mean, we I mean, should Ukraine, definitely talk Ukraine about Roe versus the other Wade. Obvious one. What was? Yeah, Ukraine. But I, I let's let's talk about. We can talk about uh, about Roe. Um, I, I'm curious what your theory is on the leak. I guess most people are thinking it was well, a leak from the right. The first to shore up some supposedly straying. Uh, well, I, a voter. lot of people on the right think that too. Having now read the opinion on a sort of speed read, semi speed read. Uh, I, I'm now going back to the the main chance, which is it's somebody on the left uh, who just wants to start a backlash and start the backlash a month ahead of time to help the Democrats and uh, and in the hopes of stopping it. Because the opinion, I figured the opinion would be like a strident first draft filled, you know, um, and uh, filled with things that... Uh, Kavanaugh and Barrett might object to because they and uh, it's not it, it has it does say that Roe was egregious so there's 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 a little bit of venom there that they m- might want to tone down but uh, it, it it goes out of its way it's it, 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 it it's already uh, 
sanded off a lot of the p- potential rough edges. It goes out of its way to say, no, we're not, this doesn't mean we're going to go down the line of gay marriage and interracial marriage and contraceptive use and the right to privacy and strike all those things down because those don't involve another potential life. Now, of course, contraception does. He sort of glides over that. So wait, let me be maybe- clear because I didn't read the opinion. So it does not threaten the 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 idea of a right to privacy as somehow emanating from the Constitution? It doesn't spend a lot of time on that. It says it says it's based on a right to privacy, which isn't mentioned in the Constitution. It does not spend a lot of time, uh, you know, striking down the uh, emanations of the penumbra that produced uh, the right to privacy in the first place. And uh, it, 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 it has a five-part test for, and it does, it does, it, it sort of states, you know, nothing in this opinion should threaten any of these other cases. And it states that there's a sharp line between uh, this case and the other privacy cases because they don't involve a potential human life, as you say, ignoring the contrace- some of the contraceptions do involve a potential human life. But, uh, and Mike Kinsley's point is, is you know, if you stop people from having sex, you stop the potential human life too. So, uh, the, um, but uh, none of them involve, some of the contraceptive things involve a fertilized egg. So you could consume it, please. But, it, you know, it, it sort of vaguely casts shade on them, but does not attack their fundamental underpinnings. And then it has like a five part test for, whether you should overturn a precedent, you know, is the is the decision stupid? Uh, is the rule working out? Is it infringing in other cases? Do people have people relied on it for decades and shaped their entire lives around it? So we'd be pulling out the rug from under them. Uh, and on most of those tests, most of those precedents do pretty well. So, so is it almost it, written to prevent people from reading it and saying, "Oh, this is a threat to gay marriage"? Yes. Correct. And, okay. and so that's why I think that Barrett and Kavanaugh are probably already on board. So the idea that, that this, that, you know, that they were, they can be wooed away from this easily from this opinion is, is, is sort of worth less than I thought. And, and the sort of, I don't know, the, the sort of person that would leak these days is not somebody on the right, I don't think. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> Wait a second, uptight, repeat that. People on the right don't leave. Fe- they're uptight federalists, you know? The liberals, oh, come are, on. The liberals are, are, are culture warriors who want to destroy the very idea of the Supreme Court, not for that reason, but um, because of opinions like Roe. But um, uh, I don't know. That's, I, I, that's where I'm putting yeah. my money. We'll see. It could be. I don't know. So what do you think your view had been that a clear overturning of Roe, which this would be, notwithstanding what you just said, helps the, the Democrats politically. That It definitely helps the Democrats. Does it help a lot? And is it the salvation for the Democrats in the midterms? Uh, I, I've now read enough articles saying, no, it's not, to think that, you know, what, what, I, what I'm clear on is once it gets down to the state legislatures, if it is, uh, if, it, if, if it happens, that it's sent back to the state legislatures, or in Congress, obviously there's going to be an attempt at national legislation, but it probably there's not a 60 vote margin either way, so it will stay in the states for a while. Um, the Democrats have a huge advantage because they can say we want this legislation to legalize, you know, abortion in the first trimester or maybe longer, 
and the Republicans will have to either abandon their position or lose elections because it'll be, you know, in terms of local issues, it's going to be one of the number one issues. Uh, in terms of national issues, when you have inflation and a war going on, uh, it, you know, it, it's not at all clear that it has that much salience that, uh, you know, it's sort of an issue you can afford to hinge your vote on in prosperous peacetime. Uh, but, but, you know, in the Biden presidency, we, there are other more important fish to fry. So I'm not sure it, it makes that, that much, you know, in immigration, of course, uh, not, not, not sure it makes that much difference in this national election. It will eventually rebound to the Democrats' favor. I guess one question is, where is the uh, pro-choice energy directed in the wake of this? Is it more at the level of state houses, you know, and state legislation and stuff? Or at the national level? I guess, you know, in most states, it's kind of clear who's going to win, right? I mean, how, how many states are there where there's much point in putting a lot of political muscle into what happens now in the state legislature? Aren't like 90% of the states kind of done deals, basically? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't think they've sorted out that completely. I would assume, you know, in California, it's a done deal. New York, uh, New Jersey. In, 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 uh, but one yeah. of the states and where it used to be a done deal against abortion was Pennsylvania. Is Pennsylvania still uh, uh, firmly anti-abortion? I don't know. Uh, it, it's, uh, is, is, uh, is Florida up in the air? Is it Florida is, is definitely anti-abortion? I'm not sure. There's, there's still a whole bunch of states where I think they'll fight it out. And those are the states where, you know, where there's a political fight in the, obviously in a red state, it's going to be probably a done deal, but, uh, it will help the Democrats erode the Republican margin. I guess like it, Virginia, it, you for know, example. It's not totally clear to me why. I mean, for example, to the extent that we it's framed as a national issue and and the Democrats say, hey, if we win big enough in the midterms, we can actually change this at the level of federal legislation. I don't know if they're going to try to say that you'd have to kill the filibuster and you'd have to have uh, a majority even without Joe Manchin and so on. But if they make that claim, it's not even clear to me that 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 claim to the extent that it becomes salient energizes the Democrats anymore more than the Republicans. That'll totally freak the Republicans out. They'll be campaigning 24-7 to get people to sign up to vote. I mean, I, I it's not so obvious to me that this helps the Democrats. I don't know. It's an interesting question. I guess my, v, my attitude that it could be wrong is that the first row is generally popular, 55-45. Uh, people like the, people like the, the like the, 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 the uh, the in effect legislation that Roe set up there, they're probably a little more conservative. They have a few, they have a few more restrictions than the court would apply. So, but, um, but the, the Democrats are hundred percent pro-choice and the Republicans are sort of split. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're a Republican and you're pro-choice, you haven't had to speak up because the court has handled the issue for you. You don't, you don't have to deal with it. You can let, you can let the pro-life people run rampant, take over the party. Uh, and it, and once it starts sort of hurting them electorally, I think those there'll be a, some pushback in the Republican Party, and the Republicans will be split. So I'm not sure that a hundred percent of Republican parties will go gung ho and freak out and start registering voters. They're pretty gung ho already. Yeah, I'm noticing. Um, so it, it, you know, it's it's uh, I still think it's a mild 
boost for the Democrats, who are the who are the they are the despondent, uh, you know, party that's looking at a low and low turnout, and so anything that gets them out the door and organizing is probably good for them. But um, uh-huh. I do, th- I you know, I think uh, I hewed basically to the original New Republic position, which is it's a gift to the Democrats, just not now. Yeah. Uh, the, I have one more point about Alito, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure I would have published it. Somebody had given me this. I mean, I, I, I Josh Gerstein, who who got the scoop, is is a really good reporter. Everybody respects him. He he he's 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 not doctrinaire. Mm-hmm. He's probably a liberal, but he's very fair, very knowledgeable. He's a great guy. Uh, he speaks with authority, and and but if somebody if I got a hold of the, the thing, what what good does it serve to publish this thing? I mean, it doesn't. Are reporters supposed to ask themselves that question? I mean, I think so. They don't. Well, they're supposed to, in 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 areas of national security, at least. There's a tradition of newspapers being willing to consult with the Pentagon before they publish something they get their hands on. I'm not aware of a precedent where something outside of the realm of national security is given that kind of treatment. I don't know. There, um, there, there, you know, there are people who come with scandals all the time. At least they used to, and and the press decides this isn't this isn't worth it. <laughs> but uh, well, would you have done what uh, Ben Smith did uh, and published the uh, what was it called? The thing that included the, the PK dossier. Ballot. Yeah, the dossier, it's Steele dossier. Yes, you would have published that. Yeah, because 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 uh, that had more, uh, you know arguably fabricated defamatory shit in it, uh, then, you know, I mean, it had that. But but at that, at that, at the point that Ben published that, the fantasies about what the dossier said were so much more lurid and damaging than the reality. Yeah. Publishing it revealed to the world what a piece of shit it was. So uh, uh, I think he did a, he actually did a public service. Although lately it's, it's turned out that that did have more repercussions in terms of, Letting the FBI do things than than I thought it had, but um, I still think it was the right thing to do. Yeah, more and more. Um, I mean, the, 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 you know, the, 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 there are cases where the Times, even recent cases where the Times has not published things at the Pentagon's request. The Pentagon Papers would not be one of them. That obviously should be published, but uh, so you have to make an independent moral decision. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, by the way, on that on that issue, on the on the whole kind of Russiagate issue, one thing I hadn't realized, and I think this is a pretty recent development, you know, this Mark Sussman guy who's actually been indicted for being, you know, like a lawyer for Hillary and so on for the Democrats and going in and telling the FBI about the Steele dossier, I guess. Uh, and 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 what he's indicted for is claiming to the FBI that he was not working on behalf of any interested parties like Hillary Clinton when he was actually apparently billing them for the time he spent talking to the FBI. Um, it had been, it had kind of had a kind of hearsay-ish quality because the uh, there, there were no, not only was there no tape, there were no contemporaneous notes. In other words, the FBI agent he talked to, who was an old friend of his, not he what he wasn't going through the standard conduits because he was so well connected. He went like kind of pretty close right to not quite the top, but pretty high up. 
That guy went in after the conversation and told another FBI guy what he had said, and that guy wrote it down. So, however, it is it has come out recently, and I only caught up with this recently, at least, that uh, Sussman texted this guy the night before. Uh, apparently, this is now widely believed to be truly saying that, saying, I'm not coming in on behalf of me. So they've got, apparently they have the lie just stone cold, okay? Um, and I didn't I didn't realize that before. Um, that's a very good point. Uh, I, you know, the, the FBI has this whole tradition of, of not taping interviews and just relying on their notes, which seems incredibly fishy to me. But these were secondhand after the fact. Right. These even, these were even worse than that. Right. But, right. But, uh, so, but it sounds like that's not going to be a problem. The other, the other thing related to this is I think, you know, last week I was characterizing a podcast. Uh, I had heard uh, uh, it was a conversation between this uh, libertarian Scott Horton and somebody who is equally suspicious of the whole uh, Russiagate thing. And they conjectured that Jake Sullivan was running the whole Hillary Russiagate thing. And I think I made it sound like that had been a mainly after the election thing in hopes of getting Trump impeached. But I think I said that. Well, no, I was under. Okay. They, they okay. definitely said something to that effect, but okay. but 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 what they meant was the campaign persisted after the election because then the hope became that Trump could be impeached. But but the heart of it, I just actually looked at the dates, and it's like in September of the election year that the that Sussman comes in, I believe, if I've got this right, and talks. Anyway, it's before the election. This thing is a pretty serious campaign emanating from the Clinton uh, campaign or Democratic circles, apparently, uh, to 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 amp up this, you know, Trump as a Mancurian candidate thing. And that I think that's what these guys were talking about when they surmised that it must have been a, a Jake Sullivan. And, and a sheer surmise on their point. It's conjecture. But th- they were saying this is a sophisticated campaign. Only one man. Could, could have handled this, and that's Jake Sullivan in their view. Anyway, I just well, want to correct I mean, that. Glenn Simpson seems to have done a pretty good job of spreading it uh, on his own, right? He was like two levels down. I mean, you know, that's the point, is that this was a multi-level thing. I mean, he was what? He was fusion or what? Well, what was he? He was, he was I mean, he, he had all the reporter contacts. He's an ex-Wall Street Journal reporter, good friend of Mike Isakoff. Yeah. And other reporters. And, and he... Uh, employed the wife of a major FBI official. How many more contacts do you need? Yeah, but I mean, first of all, the Hillary campaign employed him, right? I mean, he's right, not but where, he's he, not where but this they started. Need he's Sullivan. not. They just needed to hire Glenn Simpson. Right, but point. it's not like he had an idea, woke up in the middle of the night and said, let's do this. No, somebody contacted him and said, how about we pay you to do this? He may actually, you know, he's a smart guy. Maybe he had the idea of, hey, I can shop this idea to Hillary. But um, Well, yeah, because he had already been enlisted by a Republican Trump opponent, right? Is that right? Fusion GPS had started? They started being employed by Peter Singer. Right, right. Who was on behalf of the... Rich uh, guy. On behalf of uh, whatever the publication that Continenti publishes, I think, or maybe it was Ben Shapiro's. I forget. One of those right-wing publications. uh, I think you're right. Uh, It was uh, Freedom, uh, whatever, Freedom... uh, uh, And the... and then they dropped beacon, it when Trump beacon. won the primary. Then the FBI picked it up for a while. And the FBI was paying them. And then the FBI got pissed off at Steele, I think, and stopped paying them. And then Hillary picked it up. So anyway, right. anyway, watch that space. That could get a little more but, interesting. Again, I must admit that there's, you know, there's... 
I I think probably people, you know, was it misinformation or disinformation? Well, it was disinformation because they knew sort of knew that it was bullshit. But I think they seriously were worried that Trump was uh, in the pay of Putin or somehow Putin had him by the balls. And uh, they probably uh, managed he, to believe it. Because he refused to say anything nasty about Putin. That, you know, uh, that's... Uh, they probably did. But so, I mean, look, if you were seriously interested in that Alpha Bank allegation about the mysterious data going back and forth to the Alpha Bank computer, you could have shown it to really top flight people. And I think they would have figured out this is bullshit. Well, they did. And they said that. They, <laughs> but they, they actually wouldn't. knew it was bullshit as they were selling the story to Frank Four. I, I, I think shortly thereafter, I think they knew it was bullshit. The FBI, I think it came out this week, they knew it was bullshit. People had, they had told him it was bullshit before they decided to use it uh, as the basis for, you know, going after Carter Page. And by uh, the way, and this is a good transition to Ukraine, uh, because... Uh, as I've said before, I just another thing I learned only a month or two ago is that, you know, uh, it's widely thought that the Russians did the DNC hack. And I think the DNC hack was truly consequential. I think some emails came out of that that were really bad for the Hillary campaign. It was just a, it was just relentless. It was just like every day for a while. And uh, is it but, the Bernie Sanders stuff? There was just a lot of different stuff. There was some yeah. Clinton Foundation stuff. There was Sanders stuff. It was just it was just something different yeah. every day. And the liberal media was so sure that Hillary was going to win. They just had fun with it. Right. right. <laughs> like, right. But but uh, but um, the uh, so but it turns out the government has never, as I understand it, the gov our government has never actually looked into whether that was the Russians and this. The conclusion that it did depends on a finding by CrowdStrike, which is this company that I, I don't know much about, except I know the transition to Ukraine, which is that I think it's a this Dmitry Alperovitz guy, right? Is crowd he's a CrowdStrike. I, I think he's maybe the founder or something. Anyway, he's this. I'll Google this to make sure I haven't completely misled us. But he's become a big figure uh, uh, because he knows so much about Russia. Um, He's become a big source on uh, on Ukraine, and, and I he's follow Ukrainian. Him. I don't think so. I think he may be. I don't know. It may be uh, uh, Russian. Let's see. He, he runs something called the Silverado Policy Accelerator, which is like a, I think a really smart way of branding what is, I suppose, in some sense, just a think tank. Uh, but it's like the cool new. You know, it's like. It's like when New America Foundation changed its name to New America, that was like movement toward, that was an arrow pointing to Silverado Policy Accelerator. As, I guess Accelerator is better than Incubator. Oh, totally. That, that's, the, that's the difference between the Silicon Valley, Dimitri, and the Washington, Dimitri, is Incubator a, versus Accelerator. How about a policy disruptor? That's what you need. A policy we, weaponizer. We should start that. A policy disruptor. American policy could use some disruption. I got to start a policy pouncer. Uh, we're going to pounce on any policies we don't like. So, yeah, he's a CrowdStrike guy, and I think CrowdStrike did this finding. Anyway, that leads us to, to Ukraine. But Crowd, CrowdStrike techies aren't actually in Ukraine. I know there's a, lo there's a lot of very smart... Uh, you know, computer people in Ukraine. And so, yeah, I don't know anything about that at all. I, I just, it's a very tenuous segue we just did to Ukraine. Okay. 
But um, he he's a Ukraine guy, and and he does this. Silverado, I think, started a podcast, you know, for the Ukraine war. That they, they do, they run these uh, his interviews, his almost weekly interviews with Michael Kaufman, um, the you know one of these Ukraine stars, uh, Russian, uh, an expert on the Russian military. Well, so, I don't know what's your take on Ukraine. You know, I was going to for your takes, as you probably have read more. My what 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 I thought was weird was this this article in the New York Times about why has Putin showed so much restraint, and they couldn't answer it. Restraint in the sense of not wiping out more infrastructure, because yes. he he is starting to do that now, just in he time to from do his that, point but, of yeah, view. But maybe he read the articles. <laughs> that was prob- well, probably I, it. He probably I, read I, the, I he, he picked up his daily New York Times and said, "Yeah, it's a good question. Let's wipe but, out some shit." I, I mean, yes, he had, but he hadn't, he hadn't destroyed nearly as much as we thought he was capable of, or we think he's capable of. Well, if you mean infrastructure, he's been going after that. The, you know, I, I think, look, he hasn't done nearly the damage to cities, broadly speaking, that he could if he wanted to. And that's one thing I think we should keep in mind as we decide whether to try to wrap this thing up or just let it go on forever, which seems to be our policy now. Um, but if he gets desperate in the sense of thinking his regime is in danger because he's going to kind of lose the war, I God only knows what could happen to Ukraine. But as for infrastructure, he did start recently hitting the rail, these power substations or something on the rails in Western Ukraine. I gather most Ukrainian trains are electric powered, not diesel. And that's pretty clearly because he fears that the the wave of Western weapon systems coming Ukraine's way could turn the tide in Eastern Ukraine. And I'm sure that's having some effect. He's also wiping out fuel supplies. There is something of fuel shortage in Ukraine. So he's he's certainly doing a certain amount of that stuff now. Um, he's a little late on the weapons, isn't he? I mean, uh, haven't a lot of them gotten I, I like all these howitzers. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of those are still in Western Ukraine. I think I think it's it's only just now that they've gotten into the country at all. Um, and those are those are big systems that you can't just stick in the back of a van. Whereas these things, um, you know, like these uh, these switchblades. And by the way, there was the first sighting in the wild of a switchblade. I think actually Russians took a picture of a switchblade that had been fired. I don't know if it had misfired or if it's standard procedure that the base of the little rocket stays intact, and even if the warhead goes off and explodes. But anyway, those that was around Kharkiv, and I think that could help account for some of the success the Ukrainians apparently enjoying around Kharkiv. It, it really, I I still need to find out a little more on exactly what its capabilities are, but it seems like in principle a very important weapon. The uh, I think uh, I read somewhere is is it that that drone or or this other new drone that somebody else has that can actually hone in on specific people. So if you say we want to kill this general, it can sort of look around and when <laughs> it sees the general, it goes and blows him up. Uh, I, what this has, I mean, this doesn't have AI face ID on it. If that's what you mean, <laughs> that would be kind of scary. But I'm sure we're headed there. The the uh, what it has is a camera on it, so you can you fire it. Uh, and the short, the, the short, the small one that can't do a tank, but can do other vehicles and can go a few miles. You can carry around a backpack. It's really small. You fire it like a bottle rocket and then the blades pop out after it leaves the tube, which is why they call, I mean, the wings pop out. Right. Uh, so that's why they call it a switchblade. Um, 
that one, um, I mean, both of them, what they both have in common, the other one is bigger, uh, you know, a, a strong person can carry it around, but it's bigger and it can go like 20 miles and blow up a tank. Um, what they have in common is you, you know, once you fire them, you're, you're, you're seeing the, uh, what they see through camera. You know, these are kamikazes or so-called right. loitering munitions. They, they don't come back. They just blow up. And you're, um, you're, you're watching on a camera. What's unclear to me from the descriptions I've seen is can you, you can, what you can definitely do is if they punched in like GPS coordinates and you see that, oh my God, it's a kindergarten, you can abort. Uh, by, by after you see what it's going to hit on the camera. But what's not clear to me, and I assume is the case, is that you can just point to something and say, hit this while it's loitering. That would make it an extremely powerful weapon. I mean, especially the long range one right now, because I think the one of the untold stories I'm starting to think is that the Ukrainians are getting hit a lot harder in the East than a lot of people realize, and they're losing more people because there's a huge asymmetry right now in artillery capacity. The howitzers, by and large, haven't gotten there. And the, the long switchblade is a kind of a substitute for a howitzer, except with more in the way of precision guidance. Um, and But uh, right now, there's two narratives in the East. The, the main, main mainstream American narrative is, oh, the Russians, it's, very, it's halting progress at best. The, the offensive has stalled, as the Washington Post put it yesterday. A few people are saying, and you're seeing a little of this in Western media, but not much, is that, uh, you know, this is the, don't expect the Russians to move like a quarter of a mile a day. This isn't the way they do it. They stand off and completely barrage you with artillery. It seems inefficient to us because, most a large majority of the shells don't hit anything, especially when what you're aiming for is a trench, right? right. All along that frontier. Um, but over time, they're taking a big toll. And there was a piece in the New York Times kind of confirming that part of the narrative, which I've seen more prominently in kind of, you know, more uh, less mainstream but, online sources. But then eventually they have to send in troops and that's where they start losing. Well, they do, but. You know, by according to some of these accounts, uh, you're talking about uh, there's a point of demoralization beyond which taking the trenches is not hard. I mean, uh, and I don't know where we are, but if you read yesterday's Times, there's just there's an account of it's it's seeming pretty grim. He interviews a couple of soldiers who have come back from the trenches. Yeah. They're in a hospital. Yep. So I, I don't. I don't know. You know, last week I said, uh, well, if somehow Russia, you know, May 9th, this Monday is this big victory day, huge day in Russia, huge military holiday. Um, and I said, if somehow Russia took both Donetsk and Luhansk by then, they might say, OK, we won. Do you want to talk peace? Um, that seems now it's clearly not going to happen. There are some people who are saying maybe the opposite will happen. There will be a general mobilization uh, and and a true declaration of war from Putin. That seems and, to not be the consensus view. And which are you rooting for? Rooting for? Uh, I'm not really. I'm just rooting for an early end to the war. But, well, but there, I anyway because I I I I I I am going off on this tweet from David Frum, 
mm-hmm. where uh, Zelensky, Zelensky said Russia would have to withdraw to the pre-24th February positions as a minimum for any cessation of hostilities. Right. And Frum writes, bad news for those hoping to deliver Putin a face-saving, quote, win, unquote. I think he's and right. I, I think he's uh, right. I think Zelensky, that, that is a recipe for endless war, what Zelensky said. But I would like to deliver Putin a face-saving win. Yeah, uh, me too. Putin, I mean, it's I, the only I, kind of... I, like J.D. Vance, I don't care that much whether certain parts of the Donbass are part of Ukraine or part of Russia. As long as Ukraine well, stays see, an independent state, the borders don't bother me that much. And so if that can deliver Putin a face-saving win that ends the war before it gets out of hand, that's a good thing. Well, see, I do care. As I've said, I think there's a real... I would deeply regret... Uh, giving any kind of positive reinforcement to an illegal invasion. But uh, as I said last week, like if, if Putin, if this is like a loss for Putin, like he didn't gain anything through this war, uh, then I think he sees that outcome as an existential threat to his regime. And at that point, who knows what? He wipes out city after city, maybe even nukes, maybe who, who knows? All bets are off. It goes on forever, for one thing. Um, I mean, look, do you realize what Zelensky is saying here? I mean, it's funny. Zelensky actually said two things. He was talking to Chatham House. And one thing he said is, we can see no end to this war and we see no willingness on the port of, a part of Russians to end it. And now Zelensky's position is the one from stated, which is that apparently we can't even have a ceasefire. We can't even talk peace seriously until Russia withdraws from all the territory they've gained in this world, which is a lot of territory, like Mariupol. Mickey, do you see Russia after all after the drama you've seen in Mariupol saying, oh, well, never mind. I Well, I but I assume that th- this is a negotiating position for Zelensky. If a ceasefire actually was, there was a prospect of it, he might soften that. So Maybe. The, the interesting thing to me was, was Trump's position, which seemed wrong, which is, we don't want Putin to have a face-saving victory that he can use to end the war, even if it's an obviously uh, trivial and cosmetic face-saving victory. Uh, this is classic it, neocon, and and I think it's but, more or less the neocon position with it, this it, war. But it's classic right, but I like neocon. It, it drew a clear line between the neocons and me. I'm happy to be against the neocons. I just didn't quite know why sometimes. Uh, but that is that is why the um, I, I listened to. Is it Joseph Sirincioni? Yeah, I, he was uh, on my podcast a few he weeks was, ago. I didn't know he was on your podcast. I listened to him on Bill Press's podcast. Uh, Mickey, Scott McConnell. My podcast, my podcast. Well, the, the Bill Press one, he, he tweeted out, this must have been before he was on you. He said, start here and you'll only spend 10 minutes listening to me talk about the, the, the you know, how, how nuclear war ramps up. And the one thing, and he, it is very good. He talks about the five stages of, uh, the five possible scenarios, starting with uh, Russia sets off a demonstration bomb to, you know, the, 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 the two parties are lobbying nukes at each other with ICBMs. It seems there was no reason why Putin would not do a demonstration strike. The, the inhibition on that seems very minimal. And so there's a huge risk of that happening. Wait, why is the inhibition so minimal? I mean, that's a Wait. major threshold to cross. Because he said our reaction would be to sit tight and protest at the UN. We're not going to do anything. If he does well, that, we don't, I, our, our I, I strategy don't is, is it, we don't retaliate. We don't blow up whichever whichever place uh, set off the nuke. We just sit back and take it. 
Well, that's not a matter of U.S. doctrine. We haven't said that, and it would be very unwise to say it. You should at least leave Putin uncertain as to whether there would be well, nuclear retaliation. I don't retaliation. think it's a matter of U.S. doctrine. It's a matter of a guy who's incredibly familiar with U.S. doctrine, US doctrine saying that's what would happen. Uh, I, so if I, Putin I, listens I, to Bill Press's uh, podcast, maybe your podcast too, uh, then he sets up a demonstration nuke. It is not American policy to rule out <laughs> nuclear retaliation. It isn't even American policy to rule out first use of a nuke. It's, okay, I understand, but but um, you understand my point. What, well, if Putin thinks that, that that makes it more likely. Yeah, it's more. It seems like way more than a one percent chance. Oh yeah, and look, you know, I want to say something. I mean, we we have both fretted a little about this morphing into. Uh, nuclear war and saying, you know, if this war goes on for months and months, that just every week there's a chance it increases the chances. Now, you know what's going to happen if if there isn't a nuclear war, which it probably won't be. People will say, ah, oh, you know, you said there was going to be. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you do something that increases the chances of nuclear war happening this year from 1% to 2%, that is criminal irresponsibility. Okay, this is nuclear fucking war. Hang on, there's somebody at the door. Hang on. Okay. Hello? okay. Hang on, I guess I'll come right back. Huh. I wonder if I should try to entertain you. I just reached this stirring crescendo. I don't know if I have any energy left. I just said nuclear fucking war. I got to go take a nap. That took uh, that took a lot out of me. Um, Let's see. Is there anything else I can say about this while Mickey's gone or will we have to cut it out? High drama moment. Oh, I know what I'll say is that... Um, no, I want to say that to Mickey. But... Uh, you know, again, the the I'm serious, like, you know, nuclear war. It's like, you know, the concept of expected return in economics, uh, like, you know, so if if like you're a Silicon Valley investor and if this co company succeeds, it'll make you 10 billion dollars. Um, but there's only a 10% chance of success, then the expected return is a billion dollars, okay? Uh, it, it's percentage time, you know, chances of it happening times magnitude of outcome. So when you're talking nuclear war, expected, you know, loss, you know, 1% times, if you imagine a war when in, in which, you know, like 100 million people are going to die, you know, in, in this kind of utilitarian theory, Mickey, I had to freelance while you were gone. That's okay. uh, it, was, it was somebody running for city treasurer of Beverly Hills. Huh. Uh, did you vow to vote for them? Did no, I said I'm taping a podcast and he was very apologetic. Was it the candidate himself? I think it was the candidate himself. Oh, Mickey. And you just brushed him off? I think it was a dark horse. I think I think that oh, well, if you, if it was a dark horse. treasurer is a, is a shoe in. You should have asked him. You should have said, "Are you just a dark horse?" <laughs> um, anyway, they got my point. I think we we. Uh, I was just saying that you know you you should think about nuclear war the way you think about expected return in finance. You know, like the an investment's expected return is the money you get if it works times a percentage chance that it'll work, and it's, it's the like same a, thing in reverse with nuclear war. So, it's like a reverse Pascal's wager, kind of. I guess. Uh, so anyway, why not, why not exactly? nuclear war bad, folks. And, uh, you know, the last thing I want to say about Ukraine is uh, I was listening to uh, another podcast with this David McGregor guy, you know, this this guy who's uh, controversial. He was in the Trump administration. He's a colonel. Uh, 
I, I, I will say he's a, he's definitely a smart guy. Seems knowledgeable. He played a big role in formulating some sort of Pentagon doctrine about how to fight the Russians. I think, um, He's definitely smarter than a lot of these generals you see on cable TV. Okay. Uh, this guy's smarter than Wesley Clark, with all due respect to Wesley Clark. He says he thinks that the Russians still plan to go for Odessa and Kharkiv. And he thinks they'll do it. He thinks they can do it. This was a fairly recently taped thing. He says, don't, don't be fooled by, uh, you know, the, the information you're getting uh, through Western media that, they want to do it. They can do it. And as I understood him, they will do it. I mean, people can judge for themselves. That's also on this uh, Scott Horton podcast. Um, so something to worry about, I guess, is that the Russians uh, might not settle even for what they've got or what they'll have in a couple of weeks or whatever. Huh. Cause um, for concern. So all the, basically all the hopes that Putin will declare victory and and push for peace after this Monday uh, holiday commemorating the victory over Germany, uh, they're all falling apart now, right? Nobody thinks that's going to Well, he'll claim, I mean, it'll definitely be interesting to hear what he says. He'll claim some kind of victory. I think he, you know, one reason they're pushing on the, uh, you know, trying to get those those last people out of the steel factory, uh, you know, in Mariupol is that, He'd like to be able to declare victory there because remember, this is like a big chunk of the Azov Brigade. So he can say, I told you this was about denazification for one thing. We got we got the heart of the Nazis, you know, um, well, I mean, he could say that. Get, they, so they get the civilians out of there and then he drops a nuclear bomb on the Nazis. That was no, no I mean, they, they're I think I, I, my impression is they're starting to go underground. I, I You get conflicting reports. It's like one moment the Russian troops are going underground after these guys. Next moment, they're going to evacuate some more civilians. I don't know what's going on. I know he'd love to have that part cleaned up by Monday. Um, and, you know, look, he will say uh, he can look. They they have acquired a lot of land. I'm sorry to say it, but they really, you know, they got the land bridge from Crimea. And, you know, they still have a lot of territory around Kharkiv. Um, and so he can he can say that there are a lot more Russian speaking. Well. It was the land occupied by Russian-speaking people who are no longer, as he would put it, you know, threatened by the anti-Russian Ukrainian forces. Uh, of course, the truth is a lot of those people have, have left because of the war, have evacuated toward in one direction or another, but he can say that kind of stuff. The question is, does he then sue for peace? Does he then will accept a ceasefire? And I don't think so. To me, it seems like, his gains are not consolidated enough specifically in those two republics that he recognized, right? He still doesn't control all of those, Luhansk and Donetsk. Uh, it seems to me his gains right. aren't consolidated enough to, to say, okay, I'm done and mean it. Can we, and say, can we just talk peace? Uh, you know, on the other hand, you got all of these weapons coming in from the West. And if he, you know, he knows better than we do whether, for example, these switchblades are starting to have an effect. Something's working about around uh, um, Kharkiv. Uh, and, and so if he fears that enough, who knows? I don't know. I, I'm certainly not going to try to predict this. Um, uh, okay. Um, we've, we've all turned into Hugh Sidey, Bob. Time will tell, Mickey. Time will tell.
why am I paying you to, you to come on every week and say only time will tell? You, um, are you are you paying me? There was a um no. There oh, was that was the, I was I was assuming the voice of Martin Agronsky in Kinsley's parody of Agronsky and Company. <laughs> saying, uh, uh, uh saying, Q, do you have a brain at all? <laughs> that was one of the original shout fests, Agronsky and Company. Followed, I guess, by McLaughlin Group. I guess and it, it was preceded so much better McLaughlin than what we have Group. today. I mean, because it was, it was pretty a good, actually. I mean, entertaining bunch of people with different points of view. Actually, kind of. I mean, loaded. Uh, McLaughlin was loaded, so that the, li the liberal, you know, it's kind of a Hannity Combs thing. I mean, Eleanor's Cliff job was to lose arguments, basically, but still, it was like one right, liberal and three Buchanan conservatives was migrating horseshoe style to the left on trade and and war. war. So, yeah. um, uh, anyway, um, uh, so we're at 55 minutes. We're at 55 minutes. Well, I have a, um, quickly, we, we haven't talked about, uh, we haven't talked about the, the number one story, uh, in terms of, well, it's the number two story in terms of what gets hits on Twitter that I've tweeted about. What is which it? Which is the Taylor Lorenz blow up. Uh, Remind me. You haven't. It was. It, it's a completely minor thing, but it it re reflects something, which is, uh, she tweeted that a guy from Drudge Report was claiming to be an editor at Drudge Report was harassing her, was going to destroy her career. Then Drudge called her up and said, "That's bullshit." Uh, you know, nobody from Drudge Report is calling you up. And uh, and she then tweeted instead of saying, uh, "I apologize to Drudge Report. I made a mistake. I should have checked it out before I wrote that." She said, she 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 tweeted, uh, oh, ha, 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 I just thought it was hilarious. I didn't even know Drudge Report still existed. And she didn't really apologize. And you think, what kind of fucking teenager is this? I mean, you own it. You own your mistake. It's a little mistake. It's a trivial mistake. Uh, uh, and it's over. Well, maybe and she's instead, not owning her mistake. Maybe she's not, doesn't think she was wrong. Well, she, is, she, her, her, obviously her drama, she's a drama queen and her whole point of existing is to have these dramas where she never admits she's wrong. And to, and when she's caught out in being wrong, she stages a new drama where she says, oh, ha ha, it was all so hilarious. And I don't quite know why the Washington Post tolerates it. I mean, are there, are there no grownups at the Washington Post who expect people to behave like adults? It's weird. And she also blocks you. Anytime you tweet this, you're instantly blocked. Wait, who is, is this, did, did this thing start with the libs of TikTok thing or am I confused? This is a woman who outed the libs of TikTok thing. Yeah. Well, she's been, that's, that's her whole career. And who career. is this woman? I don't, I don't know shit, she's man. Some, Tell me. She's some young journalist whose, whose career is outing. Oh, she's a journalist. Outing conservatives and, and uh, as if it's a crime to be a conservative. I mean, Does she write for the Washington Post? She does now. She previously, I think, wrote for the New York Times. Oh, yeah. Well, then we do hold her to a higher standard. So whatever standard I was holding her to before you told me that, I'm holding her to a higher one now. And God damn it, I demand results. Um, okay. So uh, quick pandemic news. It's a big, okay. a big study out of Harvard and elsewhere, apparently showing, settling this issue. Like, why did Omicron seem milder in its effect, less likely to get you hospitalized and killed. Was it inherently milder or just that it was hitting populations that had more natural immunity and more vax immunity than earlier? 
The answer seems to be the second one. It, it, according to this study, it is not, not intrinsically milder. So if you haven't had COVID and haven't been vaxxed, be careful, because we have a whole new wave of it, of course, and a whole new Omicron hitting the East Coast anyway, where I am. That's distressing. Uh, but So what happens is each new wave hits you and it actually infects you, but because you're vaccinated, you eventually mm-hmm. fight it off and don't die. It's probably a combination. Probably some uh, people fight it off so fast they don't they they aren't strictly speaking infected or they, it doesn't cross the infection threshold. Some people get infected but not sick. But the point is that the mildness was a product of a of the population being prepared for it. it it's not compared to the original COVID uh, virus. It, it's not milder inherently. So. So this idea that this happens to all flus, that they get milder and milder and milder, and eventually we don't notice them, is wholly dependent on the vaccine. It doesn't happen naturally. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, with flus, I'm sure there's a lot of built-up immunity because a lot of people get the flu every year, leave aside the vaccine. But I I don't know. I, I, I don't know. All I can do is tell people to Google Omicron mild Harvard. They want to see this latest study. Um... And, I do uh, that every morning. I don't doubt it. It's it's part of right before my cardio workout. What is your what is your exercise regime? Well, we can talk about that in the parrot room. <laughs> can I do two quick corrections, Mickey? One is I just discovered that it's not Alperovitz, it's Alperovitch. This Dimitri CrowdStrike Alpera uh, guy. Bob, I, I went through the entire last episode saying Club of Rome when I meant Club for Growth. Uh, oh, there is a club me, of Rome. What? There is a club of Rome. There yeah. is a club of Rome, but it's not the club for growth. But it's and, also uh, conservative, right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, but that gave me new sympathy for Joe Biden getting the occasional name wrong. When I was a newspaper reporter, this is back before the internet, folks. So you, you couldn't just check shit. And I mean, I could have gone into the physical archives of the newspaper while I was writing this story. In retrospect, should have. This was a woman uh, involved in local school board stuff. Her first name was Portia. I can now report that her name is not, in fact, spelled like the car Portia. I wish I had known that when I wrote the story. Uh. I didn't. Who knew? I was young. I was, I was overworked. We wrote multiple stories per night. Yeah. So, you try to buy a Portia today, they definitely demand a pound of flesh. Good transition. Um, um, what so was what your we, second thing? Oh, uh, some weeks ago, I felt guilty about this night after night. I I was talking about going to college and I said my parents weren't, uh, you know, they weren't the kind of like, you know, they they were like, tell us when you decided what college to go to. That's not accurate at all. What's true is that they were not, they did care. They paid a lot of attention. They just weren't schooled in the landscape of elite colleges. There was just no expectation that I would, that, that if you did well in high school, the point would be to go to some kind of prestige school. That's all. That's different. My parents loved me, that, Mickey. That is different. It is. I was. I don't I think felt, better of your parents. You, you should. There's no such thing as thinking too well of my parents. Believe me. Um, Wonderful people. So uh, what yeah, are we going to talk about? Every, everybody agreed it's insane. Everybody except Jack Schaefer agrees it's insane for U.S. officials to go around boasting about how they've given intelligence to Ukraine that let them kill Russian generals. Totally. I mean, even Richard Haas, everybody from Richard Haas on to the, you know, less neocon. 
Right. And, less, and then less blobby, less blobby. Then view, today's leak was insane. Today's leak was, oh, we also helped them blow up that ship. Right. Now, and, the, the fine print is, well, we didn't really say, it, you know, it was just we were doing general intelligence sharing. But no, th this is this goes up there with Biden saying we want regime change and Lloyd Austin saying we want to weaken Russia. It just is all it's like if Putin like just just dictated his dream narrative support from the U.S., all these things would be it. This is what he wants to tell the, the, the Russian people. And this, this sustained support for his war effort. Why are they doing this? I, uh, suspect number one is politics. Biden is facing a grim midterm, and he wants to get out the idea that we're doing great things in Ukraine. Yeah, in fact, you know, he visited a, uh, what was it? Was it a stinger? No, it was the, a javelin factory. Right. A, a Lockheed factory where they make javelins. Like, uh, and I guess that the connection is that he wants people to know we're providing jobs by sending money to Ukraine. But like, also like, um, is this why we're doing this? Like, that would be a bad motivation, right? Just to make, you know, to keep Lockheed going. And huh. if we can oh, do that if, by killing I, Russians, I don't I know. I missed that, but um, I, it's, a. I mean, I think most people accept he's doing a pretty good job on Ukraine. President company excluded, maybe. And he's not getting any bounce from it. So, you know, boasting, convincing people more that he's doing a good job in Ukraine ain't going to do him any good. I, it's they're, a mystery to me. Vote on Ukraine. It's a mystery to me why the administration seems to think this is a big political winner. I, they're just watching too much MSNBC. Stop it. Um, um, so, I uh, should we, we let's go to the let's adjourn to the parrot room at patreon.com slash parrot room after you had we two things to say. Did you have you said both of them? Yes, you did. Yeah, those are my two corrections about my okay. parents and about Dimitri. Okay. Um well, well we there are a couple of Elon Musk things. One of them is related to Epstein. I've got an Elon Musk thing. Uh so there's that. Um he announced his investors, not all of them completely kosher. You're right about that. I, I uh, have a version of that that may be different from yours. Okay, you probably do. Uh, there's a... Um, we've both watched the show Station Eleven. Well, we've watched the first episodes. two episodes, and we'll discuss that. We have and I have started uh, the show Severance, which I may try to lure you into watching for subsequent discussion. Might not be hard to lure me away from Station Eleven. Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> and... Uh, there is uh, a point to make about the latest July 6th leak with an Oath Keeper talking to a Trump aide. July 6th or January 6th? January 6th, sorry. July 6th is my birthday. Is it? It's very, oh, great. So also I could George do like, W. Bush's birthday. That's half of what I need to do identity theft. Thank you, Mickey. Really? Yeah. Sure. You, want us, you want us to delete that? That was just disinformation. <laughs> um, it, it is true that an incredible number of things just ask for your birthday. And like, why is that a bit? Why is that any? One of the wisest things I ever did was when I first signed up with Facebook, I was like, I don't think I'm going to tell you the truth about when my birthday is. As a result, no one knows when my birthday is. It's wrong on Wikipedia because they got that from Facebook, apparently. And I ain't telling you when it really is, folks. And there's, um, by the way, a big demand for that information, Mickey. I get phone calls 
in letters all day. So what else are we going to talk about? So, okay, so Station Eleven, Severance. Oh, Mickey, I got like the classic Michael McFall brush off, okay? I challenged him to come on my podcast and Twitter. He DMs me his response, and you're not going to believe how great it is. This is so McFall. Try to imagine the McFallest thing in the world, folks. You won't get there. I thought the line on McFall is he shows great bravado in his uh, sort of regular conversations when it actually comes down to making policy. He's shockingly reasonable. Well, when it comes to debating Bob, he's shockingly chicken, if you ask me. But that's was not it, the story. The story was it is worse how than he my handled- response when I didn't debate Ezra Klein? No, that was a little more pathetic, frankly. And that's a pretty <laughs> high threshold. Uh, the But more macho. Mm, oh no, he handled the that was the beauty of his brush off. No. It was really a one it was a thing of beauty. Um there's, there's the White House uh correspondence dinner. There's Gavin Newsom pretending he's a presidential candidate. Uh Consortium News has been deplatformed by PayPal, at least kicked off the, the PayPal platform. What's going on, folks? What is Consortium News? You can it's explain. This, it's this like left wing, but, you know, not crazy. It was started by a very reputable, I think, journalist named something Perry uh, who died. And uh, Robert Perry. Yeah. And uh, there's related stuff. And then there's an account, a Twitter account got uh, got banned for uh, I'm going to talk about all this for for Ukraine related stuff. So this is all pro-Ukraine, a pro-Ukraine. I assume Consortium News is being taken that way. They've definitely done some good work over the years. Um, Your colleague Nikita has now is now rousing rabble in Armenia. Oh, is he? You can fill me in. I'll have a word with that boy. He he tweeted he tweeted a photo of an Armenian anti-government rally saying. People in Armenia don't like their government. And, so? Well, he's a guest there. They've offered him refuge from from uh, Putin's agents. And, and here he goes and starts fomenting. I'm joking. Fomenting yeah. unrest. But, I'll have a word with him. The uh, just, oh, I, One thing I definitely want to talk about. We can talk about that. But one thing I definitely want to talk about is this podcast, Dead End, put out by WNYC. It's about a murder that happened just a few miles from my house in 2014. I may have talked to you about it. It immediately aroused suspicion, could ultimately reach into some fairly high levels of New Jersey politics. Fascinating case to me, at least. Uh, and um, I want to talk about that. And, and what, a, what an apparently corrupt state New Jersey is. I want to talk um, about that. Stop the presses. Isn't that a little dog bites man, you know? Well, but that's what's interesting about this. Uh, this could, this scandal has been on simmer. How, who, why were these people killed? Uh, why did the county prosecutor not do a very good job of investigating? It's a very prominent New Jersey pol- Politico guy who was killed. I want to talk about, he, he had been Secretary of Transportation under Tom Kane. He was, he was like a total, there were, there were, there was at his funeral. Okay. There were two former governors and a sitting governor at his funeral. Okay. 
Okay. You're leaving it in, you're not leaving it in the locker room. You're leaving there's it a lot, outside there's the more. Room. There's more. Okay. Um, I have a couple more things to say about Roe versus Wade and sort of more substantive, less political. Okay. Uh, um, we got plenty. Quick. I Sounds like we got plenty. Okay. Wonderful. Um, a veritable so smorgasbord. A veritable cornucopia. I will go uh, find the parrot. Find this the a, parrot and so Patreon. Yeah. Patreon.com slash parrot room where you will uh, see more from the parrot you're about to see if Mickey uh, shows you the parrot. Me and, and this parrot? That's the one I had in mind. See you in the parrot room.